You're listening to the podcast of Real Life Church. We love, we live, we relate. Our Father God, I thank you that you rule. I thank you that you reign. I thank you that you don't do it partially, but you do it fully. I thank you that you do it completely. I thank you that you are not just doing your best because you are fearful of being voted out in four years' time, but that you rule and that you reign perfectly for eternity in His most beautiful name. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen. And glory. Thank you, Mr. and Mrs. S. Awesome. Thank you, friends. Fantastic. Now that our bonfire is really going, we have less smoke. So apologies for the distraction, but the ambience is good. The sound of the crackle is really good. For those of you who are streaming, we have a huge bonfire going, a couple of trees burning in the garden. We have the the, the ducks and the birds making noise and the, the, the buck are in in hiding but it is so good to be here mark thanks so much for facilitating prayer meeting this morning and for all of you who contributed i just one of the things i just one of the there's just some of i listen to audios on a regular basis so i listen to books i listen to biographies and things like that but i've now realized that if you put the audio onto 1.5 speed barack obama talks really fast but you can get through a 16-hour book in like eight hours or, or thereabout, you know what I mean? So, so I tend to say, oh Lord, let me just be able to go at like 1.5 speed and just get a lot more into my allocated time. But Holy Spirit, my prayer is this morning, no matter how long or short I share, that I'd like to say it's all from you. But Lord, let it just be most from you. I ask for a heavenly download, an opportunity to share what is kingdom, what is good, what is godly, more than the flesh. Let the insecurities of man dissolve in the glory of God. I just love prayer meeting, especially when like I stand next to Ina and people are busy, I get goosebumps, and people are busy praying and declaring things and I go to Ina, where is Ina? I go, look, look, it's in my notes. Look, look, it's in my notes. I go, yeah, isn't that just like, like so good? But it is about reigniting our hope. It's about being light and fruit to the community around us. You know, it's, I want to, if you don't have light and joy, why would somebody want to hang around you? You know, like Ali and I are fairly good at having parties. And I think it's because we don't have boring parties because we don't have boring friends, you know. And, and, and when you have people who come to your parties dressed up, full of joy, full of happiness, ready to like go gung-ho, then all you've got to do is have a little bit of spark and something nice, you know. And we need to be that community of people where people look at us and go, my goodness, it's just such joy, it's such fun, it's just such favor. Ash and Jeff, I just see you through the mist and, the, and everything of there. So for all of you who need to go home and, and like wash everything because you smell like the bush, um, smell like a bra barbecue, um, apologies for that. Yeah. Emil, Chimonet, all good. Your folks are here this morning. They are well behaved so far. No guarantees for later, but I trust Sun City was good. And yeah, just good to have you on, online. I don't know whether you're driving. Um, or whether you, you, you're still up in, in Sun City, but really good to, to have you with us. Fasten your seatbelts. Let's take off. Glory, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm doing a series on John's seven letters written in the book of Revelation. And my motivation, as, as I said before, is not that, because we're not going to agree. We, we, we can't all agree on everything. And this is one book where we're unlikely to agree on most of it. But my motivation is not to bring agreement it's to bring maturity. 
my, my heart behind this isn't that we, is that we respond together, that we hear something, that we go, Holy Spirit, what is it that you are saying to Ralph? What are you saying to the church? What are you saying to Johannesburg? Because God, you can't say a little thing to everybody and then expect unity. So God is calling and he's talking to the church. And he's talking to the church of Relife Church. He's talking to the church of Johannesburg. He's talk, talking to the church in South Africa and saying, this is what I have for you. Church, won't you write it down? Won't you stand up and listen and take note of what I have in store for you? Because I am bringing back a new thing. There was a word that came out in the prayer meeting this morning about seasons. And God is doing a new thing. And there's a lighthouse. This is, this is going to be a lighthouse for new things that are going to happen. Because, friends, Revelation is a book that we ignore because we get confused and conflicted about it. We think it's all a book about the Antichrist, but the reality is the book of Revelation is about the living Christ. The book of Revelation is a glorious book about Jesus the pastor, Jesus the prophet, and Jesus the poet. And as soon as we start to have a bit of an understanding of the holistic look at what it is, we know what Holy Spirit is doing for us. I'm fast-forwarding a little bit through what I said last week so I can just go straight into this week. And I finished off last week with Revelations 2.2. I know all. After not speaking for 50 years, the beautiful and most powerful two words that Jesus said after 50 years of silence is, I know. I know what's happening. I know what's happening in your life. Imagine if you'd been saved in the past 50 years, you've never seen Jesus. You've never been to his fish barbecues. You've never walked on the beach with him. You've never sailed with him. You haven't even been to one of the maybe the, the mass meetings. And if you had, all you remember is I was at a mass meeting, you know, and somebody in the front turned a whole lot of fish and loaves into tons of fish and loaves. But I've never met this dude. I don't know him. I've never really been in his presence. And through his reputation, more and more people are coming to faith and they have never met Jesus in person. And 50 years later, Jesus speaks for the first time to all these people who had not met him in person. He says, I know. And all these people go, oh yes, you know me. Finally, there's contact. You know me. I've never met you face to face, but you know me. And this letter comes from Jesus, and for the first thing he says, he says, I know your suffering. I know your endurance. I know your pain. And friends, this is as relevant to the church today as it was 2,000 years ago. Where Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning, Jesus knows your pain. Jesus knows your suffering. Jesus knows your endurance. And Jesus knows that you did not quit. When many around you quit, when Jesus ascended and many around him gave up, there were all those who did not, there were all those who were new to faith, and they pursued and they did not quit. They did not give up and they did not give in. And Jesus would say to them then as he says to us now, I see your diligence, I see your discernment, I see that you didn't chase after a false gospel. And for me, the false gospel is where people look off, chase after the pulpit, the paycheck, and the platform, rather than the power and the presence. You did not choose a perverted gospel, a gospel that is not worth sacrificing for, a gospel that is not worth contending for. I recognize something, and I choose to go where, G, where Jesus goes. And this morning, Holy Spirit is saying, Jesus sees you. I know you. I know what you have gone through. I know that you have not given up. I think there are so many of us who are listening this morning and we, we don't need another answer from God. We don't need more direction from God. We just need to know that Jesus says to you this morning, I know. I know the tough times. I know the good times. I know the perseverance. I know the patience. I know you. There are too many people who are wanting more direction from God. People who are wanting to God, what are you doing next? What's the next fad? What's the next phase? What's the next thing? I just want to chase after the next thing of Holy Spirit, the next thing of God. And we get so busy chasing after something that we miss the presence of Holy Spirit now. And I believe that this in this season, this is a season where Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to rest and enjoy and get marinated in my goodness. 
That's far more important for you than chasing after the next thing. Of tr prepare now. Pre 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 prepare in my presence so that we can go into the next thing together. Because friends, sometimes even in a godly pursuit of something, we miss the beautiful presence of Holy Spirit. The Jesus of revelation reveals and transforms us. But this is the beginning of my challenge this morning, is God will transform you in community in a way that you cannot be transformed on your own. Your rough sides get knocked off far more in community than on your own. Your maturity happens far more in community than on your own. You have an opportunity to be a witness outside of your bedroom and your shower and the toilet where God talks to you and gives you wonderful revelations than on your own. When you are out there, you get to be witness. When you are out there, you get to be light. When you are in community, you grow and you mature. God wants His presence, the revelation, the unveiling, the revealing of revelation to take place in community because we can't hear what happens in isolation and expect to change the world on our own because that is just not how God wants to do it. The Jesus of revelation walks and talks and leads through community and through His church. One of the amazing pictures of Revelation is that somehow when we gather together, Jesus is there and he walks and encourages and loves and heals and restores in community. If people want revelation, if people want restoration, if people want healing, then get into community. And you find that in community. As the word and preached... There's an encouragement because why? We are sitting under the same word, under the same teaching. We are being marinated in the same marinade, in the same juice. We can hear and encourage and exhort and build and grow and mature together so that we can be an army to go and contend for and to fight. And Jesus says, I know. And if I could just stop there and do something nice. You know, this is, this is like in chapter 2. This is already when we close the Bible. And we go, oh, but this I have again. You think, I'm just so glad Jesus isn't talking to me. I'm so glad that he's talking to the church in Ephesus. You know, those people over there. But as I said, this is as good for the church today as it was 2,000 years ago. And Jesus, the book of Revelation, is talking to you and me. So Jesus says, I know you and I love you, but this I have against you. You don't love me. And already most of us, when we talk about coming back to the first love, is, won't you come back to the first love of Jesus? Won't you pray more? Won't you do more? Won't you contend more? Won't you be more? Won't you, won't you just do a whole lot more activities? You don't do the activities and things you used to do. But Jesus says, this I have against you, that you don't love me, not do all the activities, or each other. And they go, oh my goodness, I've never read that in the Bible. Jesus says, this I have against you. You don't love each other. And again, you know, that's the benefit of having, you know, reading your Bible on computer. You can just like delete, control, alt, delete and move on. You don't love me and you don't love each other the way that you first did. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. And again, my new charismatic apri is just not about works, it's about goosebumps. So as soon as there's works involved, then we just go control or delete. And we remove that. But Jesus is saying to the church today, this I have against you. I know you, but this I have against you, that you've lost your first love of loving me and loving one another. Come back to the works that I've called you to do. I've seen your suffering. I've seen your diligence. I've seen your faithfulness. So we can't go to God, okay, it's, it's like playing uh, poker. Okay, I see you want to raise you three. Now, I did two perseverance. I did one suffering and I gave biscuits to the old people next door. I mustn't say that too loud. To the SBCA. And I did not quit. And Jesus says, I've seen all of that. But you don't love me and you don't love one another 
as you first did. You've lost your first love. Ashley brought this up in the prayer, in the prayer meeting this morning. Jesus is wanting to restore us back to first love. And my challenge this morning is Jesus is restoring us, but it's saying, Lord, I'm wanting to change to be restored back to first love. <laughs> Can you hear the birds? The first invitation of revelation is Jesus calling us back to first love. And even that phrase came out so many times in the prayer meeting this morning. It's so profound. Of all the things that Jesus could have said to the church, after not speaking to the church for 50 years, the first thing Jesus says to the church is, I'm calling you back to first love. I'm calling you back to loving me and loving one another. Isn't it amazing, the first two commandments? But let's just not get sidetracked right now. And he calls us back to the first love. Friends, how many people are leaving the church because of a lack of fire? No pun intended. We have a church with fire. But that's not why we have the, that's not why we have the bonfire this morning. But people are leaving because I, I, don't, I, I don't experience what I used to experience. The church is not like it was in my day. I remember the days when we used to have prayer meetings until 2 o'clock in the morning and church was rock and roll and signs and wonders and miracles and we didn't care if the lunch got burnt. And then we lose our first love and then it becomes a case of how quickly can we get this meeting over and done with? How quickly can I get out? How quickly can I go? How quickly can I get involved with my agenda? And we remove ourselves for us, so we remove ourselves from the furnace and then we get frustrated because we no longer feel the heat. And friends, Jesus is speaking profoundly and he is speaking prophetically to the church. When you say church, church of Johannesburg, church of Gauteng, church of South Africa, my bride, I am calling you back to your first love, to loving me and loving one another. David said it like this, The one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek the most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in His temple. How many of us wake up in the morning and go, Oh, all I want is to dwell in your presence all day. To get to know you more and more. And friends, we get a glimpse of how the church in Ephesus was started. Press pause, I quickly want to go back to Acts 19. So go back a whole lot of pages. In Acts 19, God gave Paul the power and authority to perform miracles. How many of you want the, the power and authority to perform miracles? Now, I, I want the power and authority to perform miracles. The reality is I have the power and authority to perform miracles. I just need to go out and do it more. But the thing I enjoy about this is God gave Paul not only the power and the um, authority to perform miracles, he gave Paul the power and the authority to perform unusual miracles. I just don't want miracles. I want unusual miracles. We're aprons and handkerchiefs that are just nearly touching the awesome physique that I look after and touching this body are put around people that are sick and they are healed. I don't even have to go and pray for them. Just something tangible in my presence gets such a residue anointing of power and authority that that tangible thing can unlock power and healing. I go, oh, yes, Lord. I want to operate more and more in not just signs, wonders, and miracles, but unusual miracles. And then a group of Jewish people were in the region and they saw what was being done under the power and authority of Holy Spirit. And they go, give me some of that. I can make money from, from this. And so the sons of Sceva try to copy him. And so they go and try and do what Paul did under the power and authority. And I think sometimes that's where we lose it. We see something happening out there and we go, oh, if God can do it over there, he can do it over here. And so we go, oh, I'm just going to copycat what God is doing there and do it over here. And so they try and do the exact same thing. And a, demo, denom, a, denomic, a denominational, a, de, a, a demonic spirit, thank you, replies to them, 
I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who are you? Prachtig. As soon as a demonic spirit starts to talk to me, I will... I hope I rise up in authority. And the man with the evil spirit jumped on these ungodly people. So they're these people, they're trying to perform miracles and signs and wonders under a spirit of religion, not out of a spirit of the Holy Spirit. So they're trying to be religious in what they're doing. And the, the feedback is, I know Jesus, I know Paul, I don't know you, what on earth are you doing? And then the demonic spirit jumps on top of them and beats them up so much that they fled. Now I know that this is a proper beating. Because they did not just flee, they fled naked. So how on earth do you get such a whipping that you are praying for people and you get beaten up so much that you leave naked? Jeff and I will just debate this. I want to understand what type of beating this was. And in verse 17, the story of what happened quickly spread to the whole of Ephesus. To the Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Friends, we want to see our city, our people, our people groups, our nation come to know Jesus. But when we operate under the pure and the godly Spirit of Jesus, of Holy Spirit, and not in one of religion, and we operate in loving Jesus and loving one another, and we rise up to do signs, wonders, and miracles, that's when the whole of Johannesburg will know that there is a place and there is a community that know Jesus and have power and authority. And many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their books and burnt them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. I don't know any of us who have a book worth like a hundred thousand rand, let alone millions of dollars. And the message of the Lord continued to spread across the whole of Ephesus and had a powerful effect. You've got your little pieces of yellow paper in front of you. And as I start to sh carry on sharing, I'm going to start to address some things. So we might not have books of idolatry and sorcery and things like that. But we have attitudes and things of idolatry and sorcery. And as I share this morning, if any of the things make sense to you or resonate with you, or won't you just write them on your piece of paper? And then when we finish, we're going to go and throw them in our bonfire. And then have communion together at the end of this morning. Can you imagine a church like that? Can you imagine that we had to have a bigger bonfire every Sunday morning? You know, Ange and her team of 20 who are in charge of security and gate control and passport control and her team. And, and we have like a bigger and bigger fire as more and more people just come in. And we're going, we want to give up all the things that are ungodly. Because we sense a, the presence, the open, glorious presence of Holy Spirit in this place. And people who love Jesus and love one another. Imagine having that type of reputation. Imagine if that was our inheritance and our heritage. Where people come out of an independent religious culture and into a powerful, genuine kingdom culture of family. Out of a culture of pretense and into a culture of power. Where people come to burn all the things that hold them back. To take up who they really are in Holy Spirit. Friends, the church in Ephesus started with fire. Most churches today start with Facebook. We, we should be more about talking than we are about twittering. And we should be more about worship than we are about what's happening. But how much of our communication, how much, how much of our culture, how much of the way, and I put my hands up here and I apologize, how much of the way of, um, am I trying to reach people is about Twittering and Facebooking rather than talking and worshipping? And so I'm making amends. Not that I'm going to stop Facebook, but I'm going to make sure my worship far exceeds 
my, my, my gigabyte of worship must put my gigabyte of Facebook to absolute shame. Friends, the reality is in the early church, they didn't even have pastors. Why didn't they have pastors? Who needs a pastor when you've got the power? We should have more power and less pastors in the churches today. The unusual power of Holy Spirit coming on the people in such a way that the whole community came together and honored what was happening and the power of Jesus. Friends, we can look at things like this and think it is just a story. We can look at Revelation and think it's just a feel-good factor or it's just scary Holy Spirit science fiction and sci-fi. But it is a spiritual culture that Holy Spirit is wanting to, us to install in the church today. I remember when the, love of Holy, when the love of Jesus was pouring out at every meeting I went to. I remember when I didn't care what people thought of me. It didn't matter what time I got home. It didn't matter what the sacrifice was. As long as the Holy Spirit was there and that He was moving. I remember when the sacrifice was worth it. And Jesus says this. Repent. Turn back and do the works that you first did. Now, most of us don't like the word repent. How many of you love it? How many of you are impartial to it? How many of you just don't like repent? As soon as someone says repent, I go like, oh, like what's the issue now? What is your problem? You know, I don't need to repent. You know, most of us don't like it. Most of us would remove the word repent from the Bible if we could. Why? Because I think most believers today would rather a spirit, would rather a, would, sorry, most people today would prefer a spirituality without any repentance. We would like the easy thing. God, won't you do it and leave me out of it? God, this is all about you and not about me. God, just give me the good goosebumps and the nice stuff, not the difficult or the hard stuff. The Hebrew word for pair, for, for um repent is teshiva it means turn back to me come out of your old life and into your new life and i would suggest that jesus is saying to all of us this morning i see you i know you teshiva won't you come back to your first love won't you repent of the things that have taken you away from your first love. That even this morning, Jesus is saying to all of us, to Shiva, come back to me. I think his language is so intentional. When Jesus starts to talk to his church, the first thing he says, come back to your first love. To the works of your first love. And for me, that just sounds so challenging because me, love is not about works. You know, you know, like even for Addie, Addie will often say, I know all the things you do for me. I don't want you to do. I just want you to love. I go, but I love by doing. You know, that's just like me. I, I, I show love by doing works. And, you know, and, and, and that's just like me. But I think there's, it's to the discipline of romance, to the work of romance. God is saying, won't you come back to the discipline of first loving me? It's not Jesus asking us to, to worship a, a new song or do I am treating his bride. Do they go, oh my goodness, you are just making her more glorious every day. Or do they go, oh my goodness, if that's your bride, I'm never getting married. I'd rather the bridesmaid. But our job is to make his bride beautiful. The discipline of romance. I would suggest that every married couple who've been married for probably more than, I'm going to say six months, I'm tempted to say six days. Every married couple, no, let's make it six months. Every married couple knows that there are times when feelings fade. And for me, I'd suggest that it's the same with God. It's normal to lose some of your first love. It's normal to lose love for community. It's normal for the flame to fade. What is abnormal, in my view, is to live in a perpetual state of revival 24-7. I don't think that's real life. 
There are times and there are seasons when you just get khatfo, when you get slightly annoyed, when you get peeved, when you get fed up, when feelings fade and you don't do things based on feelings. And it happens in our faith and it happens in our community and it happens in our church. And that's why Jesus constantly calls us back and says, you need to be renewed. You need to be restored. We need the ongoing renewal because we lose and the feelings fade. Tracy, I would suggest to everybody else here that maturity is loving beyond your feelings. That maturity is serving beyond your feelings. Thanks to all those who diligently serve and love. And it's not just about what happens at outreach. It's not just what happens on Sunday mornings. It's everything that happens in between. Maturity is sacrifice beyond the feelings. How many of you want to mature in your faith? Be careful now. I can see three hands. If you want to mature beyond your, if you want to mature in your faith, you have to mature beyond your feelings and you have to love, serve and sacrifice regardless of whether you feel like it or not. When you're in kindergarten, you get to do only what you feel like or what mom tells you to do. But as we grow, we get to do things regardless. For all of us who have teenagers, for all of us who drive and drop off our kids at parties, at sport, at things like that, when we absolutely don't feel like it, that's a sign of, of maturity. Friends, marriage is not about saying, I do. Successful marriage is about saying, I grew. It's not just about doing, it's about growing. For your marriage to survive is not just saying I'm doing, it's I am growing. It's the same with us being married to the bride of Christ. For us being the bride of Christ. It's, it's, it's all about us saying, Holy Spirit, I choose to grow in you. There was a word that came through in the prayer meeting this morning about the winds of change are coming. And I honestly feel that in this season there is a supernatural sense of the winds of change that are coming. We can get consumed about the third wave, the so-called third wave, and for some people the so-called COVID that is, that is coming. But the reality is, if, if we understand the seasons, if we understand the activities of heaven and we prepare now, we won't get dragged down when seasons change. We need to learn the work of renewal. Brian, that is strength, throwing burning logs onto the, onto the fire. Cameraman. Friends, it's in, we need to prepare in the seasons of happiness and joy and good feelings for when we are in a season where feelings are fading. And that's why we need one another. We need to work at renewal. We need to work at romance. We need to work at pursuing. We need to work in community for the work set before us. This is what growth and maturity looks like. And Jesus, I honestly believe the activity of heaven is calling for the church to rise up in maturity and prepare for the way because Jesus is coming. Maturity is when your life is defined not by your feelings, but by your choices. I'll say that again. Maturity is defined not by your feelings. Sorry, maturity is when your life is defined not by your feelings, but by your choices. I choose to do something. I choose to rock up. I choose to tithe. I choose to sacrifice. I choose to love. I choose to offer coffee. I choose to do whatever. I choose to tell somebody about Jesus. I choose to give the prophetic word that, that God has given me. I choose to be happy even when I feel yuck. As a leader, Often we start in this presence and we get consumed by the pressure of others. At first it doesn't matter how... Uh, blah, 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 blah. Fast forward. The pressure to perform can creep in so quickly. Friends, it's not about performance, it's about presence. We view success more about the purse than the presence. And about the palace rather than the presence. We view success of church 
more about the purse and the palace, i.e. The, the building, rather than his presence. When first love is consumed by secondary love, there is a conflict. The Holy Spirit this morning is wanting to say to all of us, what is your secondary love that is pursuing you? What are the secondary loves that you are giving yourself to over and above your first love? And start to write some of those things down to throw in the fire. Because there will be conflicts between my first love and everything else. But say, oh Holy Spirit, how does my first love remain and how does everything else come under? My desire for your presence and your bride. And the things that we can pursue over and above king and kingdom can be budget. I need to work harder. If I don't work, and, and, and the, the lie is, God, I will work harder because I don't trust you. I think it's stupidity and the spirit of stupidity when you buy a car or a house or something you can't afford. And you say, but Jesus, it's your fault. You should be my provider. That's why there's accountability in community. But sometimes, if we're making our budget become more than His presence, God is saying to you this morning, won't you come back to your first love, to me and my community? It could be family. Sometimes we use family as the best get-out-of-jail-free card we can find. And sometimes there's a legitimacy, and sometimes I say to the people around me, take time off and go and spend time with your family. Go and love your family. But sometimes I would think that your family would like to know that this God you serve is worth sacrificing for. That you love your God. That you are also willing to sacrifice. Sometimes it can be fatigue. When I'm exhausted, the last thing I want to do is do community. Sometimes I just don't even want to do church on a Sunday morning. I was saying to somebody this week, you know, the, my, the, the thing that, that holds me to count most is I get paid to do some of the things I do. And so I'm trying to be honorable and diligent and disciplined. But sometimes I just don't want to go and have another meeting. Sometimes I don't want to have a coffee with you. Sometimes I just want to curl up and watch Netflix. But Lord, my first love, you and your bride, sometimes it could be time It could even be COVID. COVID has become the most amazing, so-called legitimate excuse for spiritual isolation and distancing. For me, for a long time in my life, it became ministry. My ministry became more important than my Jesus. I gave so much the activity of church, not the presence of Jesus. And you can justify that as a pastor. You can justify that as a church leader. You can justify when you go off and you do all the, all the nice ministry things at the expense of the person and the presence of Jesus himself. For me, my ministry became my mistress. Not just in my relationship with God, but in my family, where I gave myself to the activity of religion more than the presence of Holy Spirit and genuine family. Verse 5. This is where it gets scary. If you don't, Teshiva, repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place amongst the churches. Now again, this is the Jesus I don't like. I like the Jesus. When he says, Stuart, you are more than a conqueror. And I go, I don't feel like more, more, more than a conqueror. And he goes, but you are more than a conqueror. In me, you can do everything. I, go, I don't feel like it. Woe is me. And he goes, no, rise up. You are a co-heir. You are seated with me in heavenly places. I love that type of Jesus. I love the buddy Jesus. Where we just hang out together. We do nice things together. We go to meetings, we go to conferences, I get to be on stage, I get to show off. I love that type of Jesus. I love the Jesus who gives me things. Who gives me joy and favor and friends and blessings and opportunity. Who gives me my identity and my joy and my freedom and all the amazing things that I am. But the Jesus who takes things away... Nah, again, let's just remove that section. 
I like the Jesus who gives. The Jesus who takes things away, unless he takes away all those things I don't really want. My debt. Jesus says, take away my debt, take away my bad attitude, take away my family's bad attitude, and wash the dishes on your way out. The Jesus who takes things away, I wrestle with. Now there's the, the song, uh, he gives and takes away. And for ages, it's kind of, can't we just change that? He gives and gives and gives and gives, because what on earth did Jesus take away? He took away my sins once and for all, so that's dealt with, you know. And I'll go, okay, so Jesus gives and takes away, you know. No, but the reality is, I don't like the Jesus who takes away. A Jesus with a sword in his mouth and flaming eyes. The idea of light in the Jewish world is the divine task of being light to the world. Being his testament. And again, that came out so much in the, in Genesis, in, in, in the prayer meeting this morning. In Genesis, where, where God separates the light from the darkness. In Isaiah, where we call to be light to the nations. Jesus, the light to the world and revelation. I will take back your light. It might seem harsh where Jesus says, I'm going to take back your light. I'm going to take something from you. But how much more harsh is it for a church to say that we are a demonstration of the love of Christ when we are not? Isn't it more of an indictment on church and on what Jesus represents to say we are a people who are generous and we are not? We say that we're a people who believe in signs, wonders, and miracles, and we don't. When we say that we're a people of kingdom and purpose and revelation and joy when we are not. When we say things and we are not. I suggest it's almost as if Jesus is saying, if you lose your first love, I will remove your light. If you lose your, wor if you lose your worship, I will, I will remove your witness. Because to Jesus, our worship is meant to overflow into our worship. I believe that Jesus is saying to some folk this morning that the things that are not found in me, the things that you are trying to do without me, the things that into a season of like idolatry you are demonstrating a power that you do not have you're operating from a spirit that is not mine you are pretending to be something that you are not i'd rather remove that so that people get the genuine don't say that you're something that you're not and say made by jesus rather just say that this is made in certain parts of the world and this is counterfeit and this is fake and this is fraud and our temptation is to think that this happens because of a punishment. And it's not. Jesus never says he will remove his presence. Jesus will never ever remove his presence. Jesus will never ever remove his love. But Jesus is saying, don't try and do things in my name when you aren't including me in that. Don't do things in my name when I'm not there, when I'm not part of it. Don't say this is the light of Jesus when it's the light of Stuart. I honestly believe that there are too many people who have lost their first love and therefore Jesus has taken away their witness and their light and they are still operating in that false, fake narrative where people start off in love and light but lose their light and their witness and they resort to being Jesus in my small corner, in my bedroom. And that's a scary thing for me. I think it's one of the most scary things out when believers say it's just Jesus and me. Because it was never called to be Jesus and me. It was Jesus and you to be in community, to be light and salt and a fragrance to the world. And if nobody is seeing your witness outside your bedroom, then I'd say there is a intervention that is needed. Let us not lose our light, our love, and our witness. And friends, I know that this sounds difficult. How many of you think it's like challenging? I do. I go, oops. And then, and then I get nervous. I go, Lord, how on earth can you share this? And for me, it's easy. It's in the Bible. Well, at least, remember, point one that I started with last week. 
we might not all agree. But this is just my, my take on it. I believe there are people in churches and communities that have lost their lampstands. That Jesus is taking away. But this morning, the never-ending, never-failing presence of Holy Spirit is saying to Shiva, won't you repent and come back to me? I'm wanting to allow you to do everything in my name. Because without love, there's no light. Without worship, there is no witness. How can we worship? How can we witness when we have removed ourselves from the presence of Holy Spirit? I would rather a protective, loving, maturing, caring Jesus. I'd rather a father Jesus. I'd rather a Jesus with flames in his eyes and a sword in his mouth that is so protective over his kingdom and over his people. That's you and me. He is so devoted to his mission. He is so devoted to the lost. He is so devoted to seeing his father glorified that he would take something away from me when I'm abusing it, when I'm misusing it, or when I'm neglecting it. I'd prefer that to the buddy Jesus, where I can do whatever I want and not grow or mature. My growth and maturity, my mission and my mandate on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe, friends, we get the Jesus that we, we want. Maybe we get the Jesus we deserve. And I'm wrapping up. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirits and understand what you're saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Our Holy Spirit. To Shiva. I come back to you this morning. I come back to my first love. I come back to the purity of the gospel, the glory of kingdom, the flavor and the power of heaven. When Jesus starts writing, speaking to Paul, he says, write this down. And I'm saying, everyone with ears to hear this morning holy spirit i choose to hear i choose to understand i choose to have the maturity and the understanding i choose to grow i want to grow because jesus you are saying to all those who are hearing and changing to all of those who are tashivering i'll give you fruit oh father i want the fruit of heaven I want the fruit that you are giving out this morning. I want the fruit of life in the paradise of God. I believe that this is what Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning. Won't you come back to your first love? Because I want to make your life more of a blessing, more fulfilled, more powerful for you to soak more in my presence. I believe that this is part of what Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning. I believe it's what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church this morning. And God, as we seek your presence, God, as we seek your life, your light. As I said, the scripture is as relevant to us today as it was to the church 2,000 years ago. God, won't you give me your courage? No, I can't say that, can I? Because he's given me courage. God... I choose to operate in the courage that you have given me and in the context that you have placed me. Holy Spirit, won't you help me understand the clarity and conviction of the call that you have for me. A call to live my life full of worship that I can be a witness to be your light and to be your life in the face of what is happening around me. Father, when I choose your first love, when I teshiva and come back to first love, I get to understand the activities of heaven more than the situation and circumstance around me.
friends, whether you are watching online or here with us this morning, if you believe that Holy Spirit has sent you to Shiva, won't you repent from going off track and come back to your first love? Come back to Jesus? Come back to His community? In a moment we're going to take communion. But in Revelations 2 it says that all those who were involved with other things, who put other things before Jesus, came and burnt them at the, as a sacrifice. So won't you write down on your papers that I've given you this morning. I've given you a couple of papers, so if you want, you don't have to write them all down in one paper. I didn't give you lots because I think you've got lots of issues. So just in case you wanted to write one on each one. And then as you go up to the, the bonfire that is really going wild, won't you go and put them in? But put them in with, a, with intentionality. Holy Spirit, this morning, I'm putting into this fire this that has held me back. This excuse, this reason, whether it's legitimate or little bit legitimate things that have overtaken my first love this morning and I'm I think this is part of it is that it's just a demonstration an outward demonstration of what's happening inside but we don't just sit in our chairs and say oh God take it we say actually God I'm going to give it over I'm going to, I choose to sacrifice it. I choose to burn it. I choose to let it go up in flames this morning. So as the musos worship, won't you take a moment and go and sacrifice, burn the things that are holding you back. And then once you've done that, help yourself to communion. And Holy Spirit, this morning as we do this, just as a demonstration as, and as an attitude, I say to Shiva, this morning I choose to come back to my first love, to you and your bride, in your awesome name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. 